Last week we talked about Jesus coming in and him seeing a fig tree. And the fig tree had lots of leaves, but underneath it didn't have any fruit. And we got to continue to remember that Jesus wasn't just coming in to the temple or to Jerusalem. He was specifically coming to the temple. And this temple has a lot of significance in, in, the, in the story here. So the first part of the sermon today is we're going to talk about the cursing of the fig tree. And the second part will be the conflict. So if you would look with me, Mark chapter 11, we'll start with verse 20. And it says this, And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Again, this is the only miracle of destruction. Jesus went and he pronounced that that fig tree was cursed. And if you can tie in last week that he went into the temple and in sense did a cleansing. Now, if you would say, to use the word cleansing, that's what we've all heard is not the best way to say it because a cleansing would mean that the temple was spiritually clean. But ultimately, Jesus would be the one who would provide the ultimate cleansing. So if you look at the history of the Temple Mount, a lot of things were done there. God's the Holy of Holies was there. there was, it was tabernacled there. There was this place that everyone made the religious significance of. But Jesus came in and he was going to pronounce destruction upon it. So what was the reason for destruction of the fig tree? It had no fruit. And we asked you, I don't know, did anyone, did y'all get the video this week? If you're on the email, just raise your hand if you got it. If you didn't, you just need to sort of check it out and, and it'll refresh you, especially if you weren't here. But the reason for the judgment is the tree didn't have fruit. So I asked you last week to look into your heart, do an examination of the fruit in your life. The deeper challenge in that was not just to do a self-examination, but to go to someone around you who really knows you and let them help with that. Next, in uh, verse 22, it said, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. So overnight the fig tree withered away, and it was dead. Peter was a bit amazed. And his, his expanse on this, his reflection was to have faith in God. So this morning, I, I just want to say that that is one of the emphasis, that last part, have faith in God. Even though your fig tree might not be bearing fruit right now, have faith in God. If you feel discouraged and you're rolling in shame, have faith in God. R.C. Sproul once said, I'm so reminded, he said he had this lady come to him and she was just remarking on how much he'd asked for forgiveness and, and asked God to take away the guilt. And, and he said, what have you asked for? Have you just counted on She said, yes, yes, I have. And he said, are you sure you've done it? Time and time and time again, I've done it. And he looked at her almost abruptly and say, well, you need to ask forgive, forgiveness for something else. She's like, what do you mean? He said, you need to ask forgiveness for your pride. 
Because God has said that he would forgive you if you come to him and you come to him with your heart and soul and you just lay it before him. He has promised to cleanse your sin from the east and the west so you're no longer supposed to live in that shame anymore. So we need to have faith in God this morning. No matter what position you are in, you need to have faith in God. He is strong enough. He is able to release you and free you for whatever struggle you might be facing. Verse 23, it says this, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and throw into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So I... I don't, want to, I don't want you to physically raise your hands, but I'm going to say, who believes that? Okay? All right? I, I want you to ask, I don't want to get into a conversation right now, but I want to hopefully open up what this means. Because it is true, but it has contextual significance that we have to understand. And apart from understanding that, you can take this up and you can go, hey, if I ask for this and I believe in faith, it's going to come to pass. If I ask for a Maserati and I believe God, boom, ask for two. Okay, Donna wants a Maserati too. I'll sell it. Just say, if I get it, I'll sell it. But how many of you heard these things, sort of just ask in faith, believe it, claim it, just name it. And, and, and I'm not saying we don't have to faith. The past verse, have faith in who? God. But let's take another verse, and it's not going to be up there to, to make me drive this. Hope you help this point, just drive this point home. Where two or three are together. Huh? Yeah, we're two or three together. Jesus is in the midst. I always ask people when they say that, and I'm like, so Jesus isn't with me when I'm alone? Think about it. Call me tomorrow. He's not there alone when I'm alone? The context of that is referring to wisdom that is giving among wise counsel, but that's not the message here. But it's like when two or three agree together, so I think we could find two or three Christians this morning that we could sit here and agree that there should be world peace. Then we should have world peace. Does that make sense? Does the argument make sense? That there is something else being said here. Yes, we're to have faith in God, but what is it meaning? So here's sort of more of the history lesson. This picture up here is a picture of a place that Herod the Great built. It's on the western end of Jerusalem, and it could be seen from the Mount of Olives where Jesus is having most of this experience where we are right now. So if you were to look across, you could see this great formation that Herod the Great built. Now let me give you some history on Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the, the king who was in charge at the time we talk about him at Christmas time. 
Herod the Great was the one who the wise men or the shepherds came up to him, and he was like, oh yeah, show me this person, Jesus, that I might worship him. What was he looking to do? He was looking to kill him. Herod the Great had approximately 10 wives. He had a favorite wife. He uh, had a favorite wife who he had killed. His wife who he had killed, her father didn't like it, it started a war. Later, he had, um, he had his sons. One was Herod Philip, and then one was Herod Antipas, who we hear about in this time when um, Jesus was with talk, talking about John the Baptist. Herod Antipas was the one who wanted John killed. At the same time, Herod liked John liked him. He didn't change his heart, but he liked what John had to say and sort of wrestled with him, but he liked him. But ultimately, because of a stupid move, he had John the Baptist beheaded. So imagine what it's like to have a father whose name is um, Herod the Great. Guys, try to live up to that. Your dad's name's Herod the Great. So Herod Antipas wasn't as good of a leader, and, and actually, Herod the Great wasn't as great as he sounds. He made a lot of structures. He made this structure and fortified it and had dirt moved from one mountain, and I'm going to show you pictures later, but not right this sec. This, all this ground was moved and put around a structure to form up in times of enemies coming in to take the land. So they built this all around, this, all this ground, and, and a little bit later you'll see more of it, but he built that. Herod the Great helped build the temple. He helped build the port on the, on the coastline. He was a great builder. He did mighty things. He was a construction genius. But Herod the Great wasn't a great guy, and his son wasn't that great either, and his son actually liked his brother's wife, who ended up really being their niece. So Herod Philip, I think, and Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas came in, spent time with Herod Philip and his wife, liked his wife, who happened to be both of their nieces, took his wife, this is like a Springer show, took his wife home, and you know, and it's just, and, and, and then Herod had his sons killed. Uh, it's just, just crazy, the amount of drama that there was. But Herod built this. Herod built the temple and did some crazy things. Next picture. Here you can see uh, what it looks like from the top. Uh, there's only one entrance. I think it's off to the right side. You see a line up there up about like 2 o'clock. There's one entrance, so it's almost like you'd have to go through a trench and walk uphill where I'm sure you would have weapons of some sort facing against you to get inside of it during, you know, attacks. So they would keep food, they would keep water. They had elaborate water things they had to bring in from far away because this wasn't a good source of water, but it was a good source of strength. Next picture. This is what the innards look like, and it's a lot bigger. If you just picture the structure that's surrounded by the dirt, it's very elaborate. It doesn't so much look like it there, but it had towers, it had gardens inside, it was pretty big, and it was a fortress. So next verse. 
Verse 24, it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Picture, Herod, or, uh, picture Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking over the Temple Mount, seeing the structure by Herod, and what he is saying is that Herod, who was evil, could take and move mountains to form this structure and do things. How much more could you do trusting the will of God and asking unto the will of God? How much could you move following after God in prayer? What kind of faith? Have faith in God so that you can move mountains like evil Herod did. Is that making sense? So when we hear that verse, we have to sort of part our heads and go, this isn't a name it, claim it thing, but this is something that is a a will of the mind, a decision of the mind, a power of the spirit in alignment with the will of God and extreme faith. But it also has connections or requirements. So verse 25, this is continuing on with prayer. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Herod, an evil man, didn't just do great things by sitting in a chair. He rallied the troops and they actually moved dirt. Fair to say? It's not like the mountain went poof. There's an effort. So I want you to tie in a prayer in faith and action. Faith in action. Faith aligned with the will of God in action. So if it's like, man, I want my marriage to be better, it's not just sitting there and going, well, God, I'm praying in faith. I'm just going to lay claim on that, that my marriage is going to be better. It is saying that in faith, God, it's my heart's desire, whatever you're going to do, and my guess is you're going to have to move some dirt and build up the wall of Jerusalem. And I'm giving a lot of symbolism that I can't have time to explain. It means you're going to have to forgive those who have wronged you. There can be no malice in this room. I stand up here as someone who has had to walk in forgiveness on various levels. And just when I think it's fixed, you know, you like want to check that off. Y'all ever check your box off? Feel good, doesn't it? Then a box comes back up again. And again, I must forgive and forgive and forgive. Clause here is I'm not saying that if you're in a 
abusive relationship that you stay in that. Please don't hear that. But I mean, our hearts must be forgiving towards people who have wronged us. I'm not saying keeping ourselves in a line of fire, but I am saying our heart must be to continually forgive. So if you want to have faith to move mountains, it needs to be aligned with the will and the word of God. And then it must be acted out in faith by moving some dirt and doing the work that God has called you to. And all along being forgiving. Does that make sense? So whenever you see this verse, I want you to see that picture of that mountain that Jesus was looking over to. Where there's a mountain, if there's a mountain, there ain't no mountain high enough. I'm not going to sing that for sure uh, to keep me away. But, you know, if there is a mountain in your way and it's God's will for it to be moved, he's going to require you to walk in faith, be according to his will, move some dirt and walk in forgiveness. It takes work. It's called sanctification. Folks, write this down. This will be a lifelong process. I fear, though, I fear that the mountains scare us. I fear that they scare us. I don't know if that's a good use of words. Or I even just wonder if sometimes we've thrown on the blinders and decide to walk around and never deal with the issues that are there. And we act like the disciples and doubt Jesus and wonder what's going to happen and fear just wrestling things out. Verse 27 And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or what gave you this authority to do them? So here we get into the conflict part. They have a demand. Who gave you the authority? And then you're going to hear his defense. Question. Honest assessment. Do you give Jesus the authority in your life? It's easy to to crush on the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, all these people. It's easy to look around people who are maybe not walking as sanctified as we are. That's sarcasm if you don't know me. But have we given Jesus the authority that when he says something, we say yes in faith? We don't let the mountains scare us. We trust that he has called us to it. He'll walk us through it. He will give us what we need. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will not leave us alone. And he'll give us the power to do it. It's not on our own. Yes, we got to move some dirt. But God's going to do the work. He's going to give you the power. So they ask, they demand what is authority, and then we hear his response. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Jesus says, answer me. 31, and they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe me? But shall we say then from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. These guys were the leaders, and they were not leading. They were trying to reconcile everything and do the right thing. They were worried about politics. They were trying to put Jesus on the spot, but he would have none of it. He just says, where do you think? Did John have authority? Did did this authority, where did it come from? Jesus says, if you're going to question my authority, I'm not going to answer you. Maybe unanswered prayer comes from us not surrendering to the authority of Jesus Christ. And maybe he's not answering because we're not really asking. So we have conflict. We have cursing of the tree. We have a temple which will ultimately be destroyed, but the spiritual temple not built with hands was destroyed and built in three days. We no longer have to go to the temple mount. We no longer have to go through men and priests to reach the Holy of Holies. We have access because of Jesus. We no longer have to go to a place. It's great for history. It's great for understanding, but we have access to Jesus Christ. What's the mountain in your life this morning, church? Are you going to do work in faith? Are you going to try to not listen to Jesus' authority and not remove that mountain? And maybe he won't answer you anymore until you do. Folks, I love this church. I think you're a wonderful people. And I think God has blessed us here, but I think that we need to, and I don't know when it's going to be, but we are going to have a time of prayer together that's going to be kingdom-minded. That's going to be we lay, our, uh, we lay ourselves down And we come before God and we just go, we want to see your kingdom come here. God, I surrender. God, I give up all my ambition. I lay my identity. If you were here the weeks prior, I lay him before the king, King Jesus. I lay him before him and just lay it down. All my ideas, all my efforts, God, is before you. And I want to come to you in faith and have faith in God that he will do what he's called us to do. Folks, we will be a praying church. Are you with us? We will flush that out when that time will be, but start working the muscles of prayer and think outward.
Yes, God loves the things we need, and we need to come to him with every little thing, but get out of your box and look around. The fields are right, white with harvest. They're ready to be harvested. And God has given us a mission to do that. This morning as we come for communion, I want to just remind you of a few things. One is that communion is for God's people. You don't have to be a partner here at Oasis to take communion, but you must trust in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father apart through him. Also, you must come forgiving. That prayer is the same that we talked about is the same prayer that it means coming to the table without uh, anger and bitterness in your heart. So if you have someone you need to forgive, you must forgive them. Forgo communion, do a, a flyby of the table, walk through and say, God, it is my desire to forgive this morning, and I will do so. Live peaceably with one another as much as you are able. It's also a chance for you to come up and give of tithes of offerings and, and help fund the ministries of the church. If you're a guest, we, you don't know, we, there is no pressure there. But let us together come boldly before the throne of grace this morning. Would you please stand as the worship team comes? God, I just stand before you with your people, and we say we love you. We know that we failed at all this. We know that we have held on to bitterness at times and been unforgiving. But God, we want to follow Jesus and do what he did and make our mark on this earth. God, we want to do what he did and surrender as success. Lord, that we say no to what we want and yes to what you want. And know that you will give us the desires of our heart as we do that. Fathers, we come to the table. I pray that you would remind us of how good it is to have access. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Please come.